What you're about to see is part two in an unintentional series on the differences between uh, the genetics of humans and chimpanzees. After I posted the first episode, I had at least three response videos made, uh, negative response videos, and an awful lot of negative comments. But the second uh, part, I filmed sitting in a canoe on a lake in Canada, and I wanted to wait. I, I was just starting to get experimental results back, and I wanted to wait until I had most of the results back before I released it. And so here I am about to record the, um, the third part right here in the studio, and this is where I'm gonna be when I come back on the third part. If you haven't watched the first part, you might want to, uh, but there's gonna be a lot of review here also, so you're, you're probably gonna be okay. Hello, welcome to Biblical Genetics. I'm Dr. Rob. I am today in Muskoka, Ontario, about three hours north of Toronto. I came up here for Creation Ministries International 2020 Creation Super Conference, except it's 2023, yes, COVID-19 and all that, much delayed, but what a wonderful week this has been. Got a huge group of people, very excited. Uh, some old friends I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, one of my good friends, Don Batten, came up from Australia. Uh, Spike Saris over here from the Seattle area, I think it was on the West Coast, somewhere up in the Northwest. Just a lot of other good people, really enjoying myself, and I needed some time. I needed time to chill. And here I am, chilling on this beautiful lake. Eh, some loud motorboats around, but sometimes it's really quiet here. Last time I was in this lake, I actually swam across it with Dr. John Sanford. That was a lot of fun, but that was several years ago now. Now, the reason I want to chill here, just to relax, is because of the, uh, the firestorm that erupted after I posted my last episode. Now, I knew that when I posted that, I was kicking a hornet's nest. I expected the results, and the results were basically what I expected. I mean, I was gonna get a lot of hate mail, or I guess we call it hate comments now. I got more negative comments on that episode than anything I've ever done in my life. Perhaps all my life put together, but probably not, but definitely the most controversial thing I've ever done in my life. And I knew it was gonna happen before I posted it. So what this is going to be, this is going to be a little bit of a conversation to my supporters and my friends on how stuff like this works and a little bit of conversation with the, um, the other side. But um, if Erica or uh, Dan or um, any uh, one of the people associated with you watching this is not really for you, but I'm going to mention a couple things ab about you uh, later on. But here we are um, talking about uh, chimpanzee versus human differences. I mean, how different are our genomes? In my last episode, I started with uh, a video. I based it off a video that Erica, who goes by the name of Gutsick Gibbon, posted, uh, pretty much savaging uh, the mathematics and reputation of Dr. Jeffrey Tompkins. And I didn't defend him. And she noticed, yeah, yeah, but I did not defend him necessarily. Well, basically what I said is, all right, you, you guys can argue about this all you want, but this is my position. And that's one of the things I got jumped on about. I didn't address the actual issue. And I knew that any weakness in my argument was gonna be twisted around and spit back in my face. I know that any mistakes I made, oh my, I would not get any mercy uh, from the other side. But I also expected to be gang tackled. I expected some groupthink. I expected an echo chamber. And sure enough, I, the, the comments that I got, the negative comments, they came in waves. Like one day people saying this, the next day or day after that, they'd be saying something else. These accusations came in groups. I thought that was kind of funny. Now, one of the main ones was that, um, oh, after, okay, after saying that I'm not a real scientist or questioning where I got my doctorate or blah, blah, all those kind of things, 
The biggest one that I got was that I didn't actually watch the video that I was commenting on. Well, that of course is not true. There's a difference between not watching a video and not agreeing with the video. But I warned myself to be careful in comments. I generally don't engage with comments and there's good reasons for that. Oh, pardon me, we're going over some waves here. There's reasons for that. In fact, most YouTubers don't really engage in their comment section because everybody with any sort of a psychological imbalance in the world has access to a keyboard and they can post whatever they want. No one's got time to deal with those sorts of things. But in these comments, I did make a couple and one of them, yeah, it was a big mistake on my part. I should have worded it very differently, but I didn't want to get into the, oh, what I meant to say was, because then you get into that never ending uh, back and forth battle sort of stuff that I really don't have much of stomach for. Um, but what I said was that I'm not aware of any creationist who's done uh, this comparison. I'm not aware of any evolutionist done this comparisons either. And then I put a caveat after that, but the caveat was ignored. And sure enough, since Erica has claimed to have done these comparisons I was commenting on, well, obviously I didn't watch the video or I would have known that she did it. Except I can't know what was done. I can't reproduce the results. I know that uh, Jeff had a very easy to find a GitHub where you could download his results and you could do all sorts of summaries and stuff like that. Um, I don't know that um, Erica provided that same information. Uh, maybe I missed it, but I didn't see it. So I can't validate the results yet. However, uh, Eric, I want to tell you something. Uh, kudos to you. Good job. Excellent work. You did a hard thing in learning some new skills and you brought in some experts and some uh, people who can help you, computer programming and whatnot, and you did a bang up job on a very difficult subject. And I agree with you on some of the most important parts, but there's a couple of things that I'm gonna say in a little bit. Um, I don't think that, first of all, Blast is a appropriate tool to be using. And second of all, I don't think that weighting samples is appropriate for the data set. I'll get to that in a minute. I got a lot of things to explain. Uh, just for the listening audience, most of whom might not have a statistical background, I have to explain what normal data is and tests for normality. I have to explain how the BLAST program works and some of the inner workings that will reveal to us uh, some of the difficulties that people are finding in using that program, a very common program that geneticists use to figure out how different humans and chimpanzees actually are. I was also accused several times of lying, but no, I'm not lying. I was accused of being a chicken, about you know, hiding behind something. I didn't actually post a live link to her video in my YouTube video notes, but I did have a link to all the show notes, which goes to my website, and it's right there. So I posted the link to her video first and then my website link afterwards. That's fine, I'm not hiding anything. In fact, I was, if I was afraid of this, I wouldn't have posted the video in the first place. So clearly I'm ready to engage, but on my own terms. I have no desire to get in a tit for tat YouTube battle with YouTubes going back and forth and back and forth. And honestly, I really don't want to engage with uh, the people involved. I just don't trust them. And I have reasons to, in fact, the reason why I posted that article on creation.com, uh, Rob Carter was wrong about everything, or whatever the exact title is, with a question mark afterwards in response to that YouTube video, was because I don't think that YouTube is a great place for that kind of a discussion. I didn't want to get into the never-ending battle. So I'm not shying away from it, I'm just doing it on my own terms. Oh, and Dan, of uh, Creation Myths fame, you just need to know, and Erica, you also, I'm not hiding anyone's comments. I've never done that, I would not do that. YouTube does have a feature 
a little checkbox when you're loading a video it says hide potentially inappropriate comments for review and i've always checked that now i don't know where those comments go that get filtered out i have no idea actually but i was just assuming that uh that would delete the f-bombs or you know people that are threatening to blow up a school or something i don't know how youtube deals with that i just figured that um that would take out those sorts of comments now if other comments are being deleted i'm sorry i did not know because I've never gotten so many comments in an article before, and I've never really paid that much attention to them either. So there you have it. The comments are there somewhere out in cyberspace, but I'm not actually filtering anybody's comments as long as you don't talk like a, a total Luddite or a Neanderthal or whatever you want to say. You know, If you're going to engage in the public sphere, well, you're going to do so without the, the language that I don't like to hear or minors who might be looking at my YouTube feed would not want to see. So a little interruption there for the lady on the dock to sing I'm a little red canoe to me as I paddled by. That was kind of funny. But look, my, um, my interlocutor, or have you say that, or my, my inquisitor, if you will, uh, Erica, she posted a follow-up video afterwards. And yeah, I understand that. But it came a little bit before I was ready to, to publish this video. So it's out there also. I will also have a live link in the show notes. Oh, come on. I had a little hiccup there. I don't know why, but from this position, I couldn't fix it, so I had to pull up to the shore, but my camera just died. I think it might have ran out of battery. I don't know, but back now I'm back on cell phone, so let's go. So here's the setup. We've got a couple of people arguing over human and chimpanzee similarities using genetic data. Now, the genetic data comes from the work of Cronenberg et al. 2018. What they did is they made... <laughs> Where is it getting me again? What they did is they made a whole bunch of what are called contigs or contiguous DNA elements from chimpanzee. And they did it without reference to the human genome. They said, let's take this PacBio long read sequencing technology and let's see if we can't make really long reads. Well, that sequencing technology tends to make lots of mistakes. So they backed that up with a short read technology that was used to build the original chimpanzee and original human genomes. So if these really long sequences that are validated. There's 18,000 of them. Well, the data are problematic. So Jeff Tompkins took that data and he just took the average of the lengths. He said, okay, here's how the average length is. And then he used a program called BLAST and he compared these things to the, uh, the human genome. And he got all these average sequence matches and he just took the average of that. The thing is you can't quite do that. And now, it is true, and Erica is right. You have to normalize your data. You have to account for the sequence lengths. It's not that simple. It's not actually the way it works because the data themselves are um, a bit screwy. So let me explain. They took all these sequencing reads and they published them. One of them is 2.7 million letters long. Wow, that's a long sequence. But most of them, in fact, 95% of them, are less than hmm, 70,000 letters long. In fact, the mode, remember math class, the mode is the one that appears most often, is 1,004. So most of these sequences are really tiny. And that bothers me. That's telling me that I've got um, two different types of sequences here. Really long ones and really short ones. And everything in between, but most of them are really short. When you're looking at data and you want to take an average, you have to test to see if your data are normal. That is, do they follow a bell curve? 
that's a standard way of thinking about it. You have a, a nice distribution like a mountain peak and there's an equal number on the left, an equal number on the right, and the middle point is your average. And if you have normal data, statistics, statisticians love this, scientists love it, you can do really easy statistics. But when you don't have normal data, you gotta be really careful. There's a lot of tricks you can do to change things around, uh, but normal data are, are the bane of all scientists because hardly any of our data ever works out the way we want, and we have to do all sorts of leapfrogs to, to get it fixed the way we want it. But instead of being a normal distribution, the sequence lengths are shaped not like a bell, they're shaped like a ski slope, where everything's piled up on the left side, really short, and a few of them are really long. So you can't take the average of that. It's unfair. But then when you run it through the, the BLAST program, you get a bunch of matches. And the matches will... Um, also have a similar distribution. A lot of short matches and some long matches. But then you have this thing called the p-ident, or the percent identity, and that's even worse. When you look at the percent identity scores and you make a histogram, as you, you graph how many of them have different similarities, like 50%, 60%, 70%, 80%, 90% in bins, you get a bimodal distribution. You can't take the average of that. What's a bimodal distribution? Well, if you took, um, all humans, and you measured their heights and made a graph, you would have a lovely normal distribution. Most human beings are about average, right in the middle. Few, you know, no one's exactly average, or some, most people are within a few inches of the average, especially if you're talking about, you know, one people group like, you know, Han Chinese or Norwegians or something like that. You, um, people find, follow this beautiful bell curve. But if you take males and females in those populations and graph them separately, you get two different distributions. Because males, on average, are a couple inches taller than females, on average. Of course, some females are taller than some males, but there's two different distributions. It's actually, it's bimodal. There's two peaks in the data. Now, it's really hard to separate those two peaks statistically because they're really close together. I mean, they're almost totally overlapping. They just have slightly different averages of a couple of inches. But in these data, when you look at the percent identity scores from Tompkins' blast work, there are two different peaks. One of them closer to 80% and one of them closer to 98% and they're about equal size. So we have two different sequence classes here. So no one noticed this and I'm not sure why, but this is one of the things that really bugs me about a lot of uh, genetics work, a lot of people doing biostatistics and things like that they'll run their data through these giant black boxes, these big pipelines of, of data stuff, and then they get an answer at the end, but very often they don't go and stop and look at the data themselves. Now this has affected me many times. Uh, my work on green fluorescent proteins, I was sequencing a lot of green fluorescent protein genes. I mean, the first time we had a red one and all the other ones I found, and I had to line them up. But as I'm lining them up, I ran them, used the, I think the time it was Clustal W was a program everyone's using, and after that was Clustal X. You know, Clustal is a very common DNA alignment system. But I was aligning them, and then I'm looking at the, uh, the places where the fluorescent part of the center, the center part of the molecule, which forms a fluorophore, it's called. And I'm looking at the amino acid content, and I'm saying, wait a minute, this makes no sense. Oh, the alignment program was adding gaps that didn't match the codons. That is, the places where the amino acids were being coded for, those three little codes. It would add a, a single gap here, and maybe 10 letters later, a double gap. So it's still a gap of three, but it would mess all the amino acids up in the middle, and my fluorophore wouldn't work. I said, oh, wait a second, no, 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 no. 
That gap of three obviously is a deletion of a single codon, a missing single amino acid. And all I had to do is move those letters left and right in a block to get them to line up properly. And sure enough, all the amino acids were the same, except one was missing. I had to do the same thing with human mitochondria. I had to do the same thing with human H1N1 viruses. I mean, thousands of them. I did the same thing with Ebola, but I didn't have a lot of Ebola sequences. And I had to do the same thing with, um, with COVID-19 genome. I had at one point 56,000 of them lined up. I used the alignment program to line them up and then I went through meticulously and I looked at all the gaps and almost every single gap, every single indels and insertion or deletion was either three, six, nine, 12, and sometimes 15 letters. Yeah, the gaps were following codons and they had to be manually aligned. So it's just an example of what happens with some of these data. You gotta check your steps. So here we have these, um, these sequences that are being used to test the difference between humans and chimpanzees. But let me do something before that. Let me explain how the program BLAST works. It's an amazing program. It was invented way back in the nether regions of, of technology, back in the 90s. I mean, we had a couple of DNA sequences. We had more protein sequences than that. And it was really started to be used for protein sequences then DNA. And then we added the ability to add gaps and not gaps. And it got a little more technical, but it's still very commonly used. And what it does is this, it takes your, your genome, your target genome, in this case, the human genome, and it makes a database out of it, a database of words. And then you take your query sequence, in this case, chimpanzee sequences, and you throw it at the human genome. And what it does is it divides your, your query sequence up into words, and you can set the word length, and usually 11 is a common, a common word length. So it'll take 11 letters in a row from your query, and it'll try to find that sequence in your target. And it can do it very often because even though you think that uh, 11 to the fourth power is an extremely large number and you would never ever find that randomly, well, in DNA, nothing's random. In fact, if you just look at the, the four letters, A, C, G, and T, they're not random. C and G only comprise 40% of the genome. A and T comprise 60%. So. C's and G's are found at 20% and A's and T's are found at 30%. They're supposed to be found at 25%, but they're not because they're not random. In fact, if you take all the two letter combinations, A, 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 C, A, G, A, T, they're not found at 1 16th. Even after factoring in the fact that, that A's are you know, found at 30% um, of the time, so let's just call it 0.3 for simplicity. 0.3 times 0.3 is 0.09. Uh, A, A is not found at 0.09. That's, or 9% of the time. It's not. There's no randomness at any level. So from two letters, you can go up to three letters. CG is extremely conserved. Uh, the CG dinucleotides, not random. You go up to three letters, go up to four letters, go up to five letters, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. At every level, there's non-randomness, even after factoring in the frequency of the letter combinations at the, the, the level below that. So therefore, when you find a sequence in a biological sequence, you can very often find that same sequence in another species, uh, even, even distantly related species, because nothing's random. Or, or the pattern might be due to common ancestry, or the pattern might be due to common design. Either way, that's what it starts with. You find a 11-letter chunk, and then it tries to extend the alignment. It goes left and right. It tries to add letters, one letter at a time. And every time it adds a letter, the score goes up by one. 
And every time there's a letter that doesn't match, the score goes down by one. And if you have a, an area of good alignment over an extension period, your match, your, your score will go up and up and up and up and up and up until you get to a place where it no longer aligns very well. Then your score will start to drop. And there's a, uh, I'm not able to adjust this in my desktop and I tried ChatGPT to teach me how to do it and I tried and tried and tried, but there is a apparently hard-coded um, parameter called the X-drop. And there's one for ungapped and there's one for gapped and there's a final X-drop uh, value also, but it's typically set around 20. In other words, if your score drops by 20 from whatever highest score you ever had, then the alignment will kick out and that's what is reported, that sequence. But what it does is it'll go from um, your highest match and keep on going, going, going. And when it drops below 20, it'll back up to the place where you had your highest score. So if you go out a thousand letters and you have a great match, and then the next thousand letters, you don't have such a good match. And then the next thousand letters, you have a terrible match. It'll go all the way back to that first thousand letters, and that's the match it'll report. It'll report a match of 1,000 letters, and, and the score will be associated with that. So that's one of the, the huge limitations of BLAST. It's the basic local alignment tool, tool. It only gives you local alignments. It'll only give you the highest percent match of any given stretch of DNA. So it's not good for anything. It doesn't tell you the percent similarity on the rest of the genome. In fact, when I looked at the, um, that longest uh, piece of 2.7 million letters, more than 90% of it didn't match the human genome. It wasn't even included in the calculation. It just gave you the region of highest match and ignored everything else. So even if you were to take that, that high value as the percent match, well, obviously the real match is less than that. How much less? I don't know you'd have to take that long sequence and break it up into lots of little pieces, blast each one of them independently, which, okay, so I, I did it. And uh, what you get is an average match, and this time you don't have to weight your samples because all your sequences are the same length. The average match dropped by 1.6%. And so if you had a sequence of a million, a match of a million letters long, if the next 20 letters don't match, it'll drop right there. That, that's what'll stop, and it'll only report those million. If you have a sequence of a thousand letters that matches and the next 20 don't match, it'll stop there also. See, it's an absolute number, it's not a percent. I would much rather have it match, you know, I'm looking for things that are 99% when it drops below 98%, that's when it should kick out, but it's not what it does. It's an absolute count of number. So what we call the blast book, this great little book with the coelacanth on the cover that all the scientists in genetics had uh, has this wonderful diagram inside that explains XDROP and where it cuts off and the fact that the sequence report will back up to the area of the highest match. So BLAST is only giving you the best results. You don't know the rest of the genome unless you test it. And so I need to know. I really want to get into the data, get my nose into it, see what's going on. And sure enough, it did not take long to figure out what was happening. I just took one of the short 1,000 base pair sequences and I blasted it against the human genome. This time I'm using the telomere to telomere uh, program human genome. This is a brand new, has no ends in it at all. It's the first ever complete human genome, including the Y chromosome. I'm using that as my BLAST database. So I took one of the small uh, 1,000 base pair uh, chimp sequences and blasted it against that and I got 5,000 hits. 
5,000. See, uh, Erica and Jeff are forcing it to only give the most significant value. Now I said, give me all the significant ones. I got 5,000 hits and they're all on chromosome seven and they're all in the same region of chromosome seven. All sorts of different lengths, all sorts of different numbers and lengths of gaps. This is a repetitive section of DNA that happens to match up on chromosome seven a little bit, but blast is stuttering. It's, it's giving me all sorts of results that it thinks are significant, but they're not. I mean, what do you do with a sequence like that? Usually you just exclude it from your analysis. So weighting doesn't apply here. You need more data filtering, or you'd have to look at each one of these 18,000, see if it's repetitive DNA or not, look at the region, and then maybe what, manually pick out the region of best alignment? No, this area has very bad alignment. It might have a similar sequence at the base, but there's many, 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 many deletions, insertions, maybe inversions, uh, maybe um, segmental duplications, all sorts of weird things are happening here. And each one of those would have to be a mutation that happened at some point in the human chimp uh, phylogeny and then got fixed in humans or chimps, or maybe it's not even fixed in humans or chimps. So we had to do more data filtering. I took one of the sequences that had 5,000 letters and I got 3 million significant hits all over the human genome. All, I mean, almost every chromosome all over the place, 3 million hits. Some of them are long, some of them are short, but you know, it's a matter of statistics here. Which one is the true match? Well, you would have to take the, the sequence and try to extend it, but the problem is the full 5,000 matched in a lot, of, a lot of cases, and therefore you can't extend it anymore. That's the end of the sequence. You need a longer chimp contig. So honestly, I'm ready to toss Blast entirely. It is an inappropriate tool. It does not work for comparing humans and chimpanzees. I would love it if it did. If we had sequences that were created de novo and were accurate and were about the same length, so you don't have to do any weighting, then you could possibly do this, but you probably have to separate it into coding region, non-coding region, repetitive DNA, you'd have to do some masking, which brings up all sorts of questions about similarity. I mean, what percent similarity are you talking about when you have to delete data or mask the data? And that's the issue. So this is why when I gave my response video, I pretty much just accepted at face value uh, Seaman and Bugs's work on their alignment program, and they said that the percent similarity of all the alignable areas is 96.6%. That's our starting point. It's less than that. Because even in that area, after they got rid of all the things humans and chimps didn't share, there were still places that didn't align at all. And then when you factor in all the hundreds of thousands of indels, it's more places that don't align. And so in Erica's video, she said, yeah, she'd be happy with humans and chimps being about 95% similar. Okay, I'll take that. I'll, I'll have that as a starting point. I think it's less than that though, but it depends on if you're talking about total percent similarity, which is very hard to calculate, or percent similarity of only the shared regions. Okay, and that's the issue. This calls for a lot of humility. There's a lot of people with opinions there's a lot of mistakes being made and it's very difficult to wrestle with. It does impinge upon the creation evolution debate in some ways, in the other sense, it doesn't really matter at all, but you know, humans and chimpanzees can be similar. I'm fine with that because they are. But I also wanna know, maybe I shouldn't even ask the question, but I just kinda wanted to know why, um, why Erica and Dan 
and um, uh, uh, Glenn Williamson, that's, that's the name, I hope I got it right, with all their brilliance and all their, their, their smart brains and Glenn's obvious computing prowess, why do they even care? I mean, if we're just stardust, if we're just accidental collections of molecules that came together for a little while and then are going to go away and depart and never be seen again, I mean, what gives? Who cares what anyone else thinks? Especially considering that creation is not really a threat to evolution because we're a small community and, well, most people either ignore us or don't tell the truth about what we say, and therefore we don't seem to have much of an effect on them. Well, so what? I mean, it's not like flat earthers that were taking over the internet a couple of years ago and causing all sorts of problems. Uh, creationism doesn't really have that big a deal in the halls of science. I'm no threat to anybody. I'm not going to make anyone lose their career. But there's a reason for me to care. And the reason I care, because Jesus red-pilled me. One day, I woke up. I no longer believed what I used to believe. And my eyes are open to the, the spiritual battles that are happening around us. And the people that I don't believe there's a spiritual side of life at all, well, I think they're missing something. I think they're missing something very important. And if evolution in general is a reason for them to deny the spiritual side of life, well, then I'm going to try to address evolution. If Belief in billions of years is the reason why they don't believe in the claims of Jesus? Well, then I'm going to try to address the belief in billions of years. But from the other side, who cares? Who cares one lick about anything? What, nothing matters at all, except, you know, we, we need a paycheck because we get hungry. But even hunger is just a mirage because, you know, we're really not anything and we're not reporting to the universe. The universe is just going to eat us alive one day because it's just dust. But if we're not dust, if we're created in the image of God, if we are spiritual beings, if we can relate to this God, this God of the Bible, then there's some very important things that have to happen. The person's going to have to first acknowledge that this God exists. Second, acknowledge that this God is in control. Third, acknowledge that this universe is created. I mean, I am not uh, hiding anything that I'm aware of. I am not scurrying around trying to pretend I'm someone I'm not. I'm a fallible, sometimes angry, sometimes depressed, sometimes very confused individual, and yet I'm also a follower of Jesus, and he's more important to me than anything else. He's more important to me than science, he's more important to me than food, he's more important to me than reputation. And that's clear because last week my reputation was sullied. Got all that hate mail. That's all I'm going to say for now. This really wasn't a message for anyone in particular, but for all my friends and family and supporters out there who root me on, I really appreciate it. Hey, if you're a Christian, you want to get into the public arena, you got to understand that you're going to be insulted. You're going to be bullied. You're going to be badgered. Your name is going to be dragged through the mud with every possible um, accusation thrown at you. And a lot of those aren't going to be true. Some of them will be true. That's the hard thing, knowing that if people really know you, they can accuse you of a lot of things. But in general, the public don't know you very well, so they just throw random things at you. And it is depressing. And it is hard to hear. It is hard when, when people are accusing you of this and accusing you of that, and you just want to come back swinging, come back fighting. But you can't do that because that actually distracts from the debate. When you get to the point where you're being self-defensive about everything, 
then the conversation shuts down and it just becomes a, a slug match of mocking. And No, we, we're better than that. We can hold the Bible in our hands and defend it confidently and competently without having to resort to being a jerk. And that's really all I want to say. I'm trying to model that non-jerkiness even though it's hard. And I'm trying to not be depressed even though a lot of people called me a lot of bad names last week. But it's okay. Why? Because I've got something bigger and I've got something better. Like that big old boat that's bearing down on me right now that I want to stay here in the shallows because I want to go over there and get run over. Hey, you all have an awesome week. Thank you for your support. Appreciate it much. If you'd like to help contribute to biblical genetics, there's a link in the show notes as well as links to the videos that I've been discussing. God bless. Well, I hope that was somewhat informative. Uh, please come back for part three. I'll be right here in the studio. In fact, I'm ready to record it right now. Thank you.